a very dynamic image. Um, again, we tend to think, well, the Spirit is in me. There's this power. I just need to kind of turn inward. I need to attune myself, right? But it doesn't quite help us when we think about this image of what is it of, of walking in the Spirit. We need more dynamic images of what the Holy Spirit is. Because the reality is this. It's not just that the Spirit is in us. We are in the Spirit. Right? We are, the Spirit isn't just in us. We are in the Spirit. This is the language of walking presumes that we're in the Spirit, not just the Spirit is in us. Paul says this in Romans 8. It's presumed it throughout this text. But he says, um, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So I want to I wanna give you four images. Four images or to help us visualize how the Spirit works in our life. Because the Spirit is an invisible reality, and you need an image to try to understand how the Spirit works. To walk in the Spirit, this is the first one. To walk in the Spirit requires us to... Um, Again, understand the Spirit is as much outside of us as it, as it is inside of us. We're in the Spirit. And so you can think of the Spirit as kind of like a realm or a space that we inhabit. Better yet, like a territory or a country. To walk according to the Spirit is to consciously live in the realm and the space of the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to living in this space or realm. It's almost like, imagine the difference between living in different countries or territories. When it comes to the experience of freedom, there are different experiences, say, back before the Berlin Wall fell, between living in East Berlin and living in West Berlin. (laughs) West Berlin, you were free to say and to think and to go where you wanted. In East Berlin, you were not free to say what you wanted or to go where you wanted. And it's like that with the Spirit. To live in the Spirit, in the realm or the space of the Holy Spirit, is to live in a space of freedom, of spiritual freedom. To walk in the Spirit or according to the Spirit is to walk according to this realm of reality. So that's that's one image that I think is a helpful one to get us at how the Spirit works. But, but again, walking is a very dynamic activity. The experience of the freedom of the Spirit, I think, depends upon um, another understanding, um, again, that the Spirit is in us, but it's also outside of us. And the work of the Spirit in our life is, is, is an outside-to-inside kind of movement. So as much as the Spirit is in us, the Spirit is outside of us. And here, I think the image of of wind is really helpful. If you think about wind, you know, meteorologists talk about wind fields, right? It's like a, a, a field of wind that blows, and it moves trees and blows leaves and forms waves. It covers massive territories or, or miles, sometimes the, the span of a whole state. Now, if you open the windows of your house on a windy day, what will happen is your curtains will blow and potentially things on tables will blow off and doors will slam, right? And it's similar in our own lives that we we are in this wind field of the Spirit. And when we, to walk in the Spirit is in a sense to open up the windows of your heart and of your life and to let the Spirit blow through it, right? And when that happens, of course, it tends to knock things over inside. 
But the wind is also directional. Because when you think about walking, walking, you know, we have these arrows here about where to walk. That's the other idea. It's directional. The spirit is going a certain direction. The wind blows in a certain direction. Yesterday, the wind was blowing out of the southeast along Lake Michigan, forming waves. And again, there's this, this dynamic activity that that's how the spirit works. It blows in a certain direction. It goes from the outside to the inside. Let me give you another image. Again, we are in the spirit. You are in the spirit and, say, and maybe in quite... Um, in the same way, say you're in the Pacific Ocean. You can be in the Pacific Ocean. Now, the last time I was in the Pacific Ocean, the Pacific Ocean was also in me because I was surfing. <laughs> and I had a lot, of, got a lot of water in me, right? But you imagine the, the, the power of an ocean, or like the Pacific Ocean, and how it can just sort of force itself inside of you if you're in the middle of it. There's a sense in which the Spirit is this immense power but the spirit in me, it's like when I was in the Pacific Ocean, I had maybe a, a quarter cup of Pacific Ocean in me. For Paul, it's not simply like you have like a little, a little portion of the Holy Spirit, but imagine if the whole vastness of the Pacific Ocean could be inside of you without destroying you. <laughs> That's what Paul means about being in the spirit. There's this power, and the Holy Spirit is vaster and more powerful than a million Pacific Oceans. The Holy Spirit actually created the Pacific Ocean. And God says, Jesus says, this power dwells in you. Think about that. It's an incredible thought that the whole Pacific Ocean, or something equivalent of it, dwells inside of me. Which means that it is the power, again, of freedom. It is the ability to break all the chains and smash all the walls that hold us back from God and what it means to be a true human being created in His image. Okay, one last image. One last image. There's a sense in which the Holy Spirit is like the Force in Star Wars. The Spirit is like a force field almost. This invisible kingdom of power and activity into which we are drawn and we can come to participate and relate to. But, now, it's like the force, but not exactly. There's a lot of ways it's not like the force. But the Holy Spirit is not like the force, and that the, the, the force in, in, in the Star Wars is, is largely this impersonal power or presence, right? But the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. Even though we often use language that sounds impersonal, the Holy Spirit is a person. It is the personal presence of God in the world. And it's, so it's not like, you know, Yoda will say, you know, Luke, use the force. Like, you can't ever say that. You can't, we don't use the Holy Spirit. You don't use the Holy Spirit. You can't command the Holy Spirit. You can't manipulate the Holy Spirit. And yet, the Holy Spirit is like this power, this force field almost, this, this ever-present reality in which part of our life is attuning ourselves to that reality, walking in the light of this invisible kingdom of power and activity of God in the world. You don't use the force, but you walk, you know, or the Holy Spirit, but you walk according to the Spirit. That's, that's Paul's language. And so those who have the force in Star Wars find that they have special abilities and powers. But those who walk according to the Spirit also have special abilities and powers. And those special abilities and powers are the fruit of righteousness. Love, joy, Peace, 
patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are powers, friends. Virtues are powers. That's actually the virtu is the Latin for virtue. It's like where we get the word power. Virtues are powers. Think about this. Joy. Joy is a power in the face of suffering, of loss. It, to be able to be joyful when things aren't going well, that's a power, isn't it not? Patience, that's a power. Patience is a power that many of us lack these days, right? Because we, we're like, we need to change things, right? See, these are powers, but they're powers in the form of virtues that God creates in us. They're the fruits of true freedom, right? If you possess these powers of gentleness and faithfulness and humility, self-control, peace, you are, true, you are walking in freedom. That's just what it means to be a free person. When these are manifest in your life, it is a sign that you are experiencing true freedom as a human being. So being in the Spirit is to be placed into the spiritual realm of the person of the Holy Spirit, which brings freedom and brings power in our lives. So given this, what does it mean? What is our activity and responsibility? How do we relate? Paul says here, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now again, the Spirit is not a reality we, we can command or act upon or call into action, right? The Spirit is a reality that we need to bring our lives in line with. Because the Spirit lives outside of us, and the Spirit is His own person that we have to relate to, right? And this is what Paul means by walking in the Spirit. And so, um, the Spirit has His own agency, you know, His own intentions outside of us. Um, in Romans 8, which is a, a very, very similar text to Galatians 5, um, Paul, instead of using the language of walking, he talks about uh, setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. So the question is, well, what does it mean for us to set our mind on the things of the Spirit? What does it mean for us to walk and keep in step with the Spirit? The way that Paul, both in Romans 8 and in Galatians, talks about this is by way of contrast. By, he, he, he describes what walking in the Spirit is by, by showing us what it's not. And what it's not is walking according to the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what does it mean to walk by the flesh? Uh, look in, our, in verse 19. It was that long list of vices that I, that I described to you. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things... Like these. There's a lot more you could add to this list. In Romans, Paul describes the way of the flesh or the works of the flesh as the way of death. That the works of the flesh is the way of death. But the way of the Spirit is freedom and life and peace. Now before, I, I want to I take a moment here and pause and reflect a little bit more about the meaning of flesh. Because when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, it's very easy for us to get off course if we don't understand exactly what Paul means by flesh. Because there's a way that Paul contrasts life in the flesh and life in the spirit. And when we hear the word flesh, we just hear the word material thing. And so our temptation always, I think, is to contrast 
your life in the spirit as sort of like spiritual things, immaterial things, and uh, the way of the flesh is to be really bodily and fleshly and materialistic. And that's not what Paul means. Paul does not use the category flesh to describe material reality, but actually flesh, or sarx is the Greek, mean, is itself spiritual. Um, flesh is a spiritual category for Paul. Um, and what it is, is it's a negative spiritual category. The flesh simply is, is the whole nature of the human being, of the human person, organized and pointed away from God. That's what the flesh is. It's the, it's the whole person organized and pointed away from God and pointed inward, curved inward upon themselves. So you can be a very spiritual person and be very fleshly. You can go to church, you can talk about God all the time, and you can still be very, very fleshly. Um, flesh refers to our fallen sinful nature, our fallen self. Uh, one, one category or, or one, one of the most helpful ways that I've, I've found of apl- actually applying the category of the flesh within a modern context um, comes from Thomas Merton and his idea of the false self. And there's there's a really long quote in your worship folder. I commend you to go and read and reflect on later, and some of what I have to say about the false self is drawn from that. Um, but I think, I think the false self is a really helpful category for us to understand the sense in which Paul uses this term flesh. Um, the flesh is your false self. The flesh is your illusory self. It's that part of yourself that wants to exist outside of the reach of God's will and God's love, outside of reality, outside of the Holy Spirit. And all the vices that Paul lists, all the works of the flesh or the works of the false self, in one way or another, are, are there, are there, they're the rotten fruit of the false self, right? Just think about it, right? I mean, bitterness, pride, anger, lust, envy, Drunkenness, apathy, dissension, cynicism. Cynicism is a work of the flesh. And these are all rotten fruits of a false self. And, and unfortunately, I think for many of us, and you, I mean, all of us have a, a vice that we could put on this list. For many of us, they define us. They're like really real things that we experience. So it's hard for us to grapple with the idea that they're illusory or they're false because they they really define our identities. But that's the whole idea. You know, these are works of a false self, a a self that is not grounded in reality, a self that wants to make itself the center of the universe to where everything is about itself, its own desires. It's my, my happiness, right? My truth, my pain, my freedom. And if you think about it, I mean, the, um, it's very hard to see this in our lives. We don't see the false self. I mean, the false self always wants to hide itself, cloak itself, right? But, but friends, this, the, the false self is really that part of us that lives like an atheist. See, all of us, myself included, all of us have a part of us, a little part of our hearts, that we try to make our way through the world without God. And we say, we trust ourselves on this. That's a fu- it's a functional atheist, right? That's a false self. 
And it is very real, and yes, it has no future because it's not based in reality. It is cut off from God, and because it is cut off from God, it is cut off from the source of life. And if you want to know, you know, maybe you're like, what is my false self, right? What are those besetting sins in your life that just keep coming up again and again? That's a place to start. (laughs) But what are those things in particular that tend to create harm or hurt or strife between you and those that you love most or those you work with? Those are always going to be signs of a false self, right? And friends, all of us have a false self. This again, we all have this fallen flesh, this and, and again, why I like this idea of, of the false self is because the reality that is sin is more well organized and rooted in our hearts and our very sense of who we are than I think we're willing to admit. And the false self is always lurking in the background, subtly trying to turn us away from God, trying to sabotage our relationships, trying to turn us inward upon ourselves. And the, this false self is honestly, it is the epitome of the enslaved self, even though it says, I am free. And it makes all its decisions saying, this is, this is what freedom looks like. This is what freedom feels like as you rattle your chains, right? So to live according to the false self is, for Paul, an unraveling, a disintegration, a division of our God-given humanity. And the, and the, and the social fruit of a false self is always evident in conflict, polarization, and division within a community. And this is really um, to read this passage about the Holy Spirit in the context of Galatians is to recognize that Paul goes here because he's trying to address deep conflict in the body. Let me just give you a couple of the verses. Verse 15, again, this is a very evocative image. Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. At the very end of of our verses, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. Again, Paul is addressing conflict because the fruit of the false self is division and conflict because the false self is a saboteur of relationships and a destroyer of community. And so the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is to effect a reversal of all this division and disintegration. The deep work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our hearts, is nothing less than therapy from the false self. Let me just read you what Paul says. Verse 17, For the desires of the false self are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the false self. For these are opposed to each other, keeping you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the laws that guide the false self. Walking according to the Spirit is to refuse to live according to the false self, which means to refuse to live as one who is enslaved by its passions and desires. Life in the Spirit is to overcome the false self. And the way the Spirit does this is by creating an alternative a set of fruits and works that are in contrast with the rotten fruit of the false self. And first and foremost, that fruit is love. It is love. The way we in our culture are formed to think about freedom 
is, is that freedom does not have any specific content except what I give it, right? So to be free is to be able to choose as a self what I want to do. Freedom is mine to do with what I want to do to determine my purpose in life, right? And what mo matters most in our culture um, when it comes to freedom is not so much what I choose, but simply that I can choose, right? And so we have largely a, a, a content-less understanding of freedom in our culture. But this is not what the Bible understands freedom to be. Freedom in the Bible is only freedom if I am able to choose God. If I am able to choose love of neighbor. If I'm able to choose to relate to creation as God has created it intended to be used. If I can't do those things, I'm not free. And so when we receive freedom through the gospel, what, we're done, what we are given is the power to live into reality as God created it, right? The false self is a slave because it cannot accept God's word about what is true about the world, and it can only live in the world as it imagines and experiences the world. But true freedom is always freedom for the sake of the good, the true, the beautiful, the just, the righteous, for the sake of love. While the modern understanding of freedom doesn't have any content except what the self gives it, the biblical understanding of freedom is very different. The content of freedom for the Bible can be summed up very simply as love. Love is the content of freedom. Love. That's what Paul says. The, all the law is summed up by one word or one sentence. Love God, love your neighbor. Love is the content of freedom. Again, Paul says, verse 14, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the false self, but through love serve one another. So we're given freedom through the gospel for the sake of love, and that is what the Spirit works in us. The sign that we are living in the freedom of the Spirit is that we begin to bear the fruits of a true self. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And this is not an exhaustive list. You could add a lot more virtues to that, like, like compassion and forgiveness and humility and mercy. These are, and again, that word love, I mean, all those words, like gentleness and humility, all those, in a sense, are, are summed up by the word love. That's, that's what it means to love. You begin to follow those, those virtues, those powers out, and apply them deep to your heart and life. That's what love looks like. And they're in direct contrast to the fruit of the false self, right? When these virtues are present, when the Spirit produces these virtues in our life, it fundamentally changes how we relate to the world, how our relationships relate. And the more we possess them, the more we overcome and heal from the grip of the false self on us that wants to sabotage us. The more they take root in us, the more uh, we overcome the divisions and the strife that marks so many of our families and relationships and communities. Friend, this is really important. Um, life in the Spirit life in the Spirit will always be manifest in relational health in every context of your life. 
That doesn't mean that all your relationships become good all of a sudden, but that, that life in the Spirit will always lead you towards seeking relational health in whatever context you're in, whether it's in fa- personal relationships in your family or in society. And so a truly free society is one that is at peace, right? There is no society that has war with itself that has freedom. These virtues make us truly human. They put us in touch with our true self, the self that God created us to be. And we become the kind of people that God designed us to be when they grow in our life. That's when we really begin to discover our true self. You begin to discover your true self and your true freedom when things like patience and gentleness and humility and compassion emerge more and more in your life. And the absence of those things in your life is the absence of you being able to find yourself as God created you to be. But ultimately these things, what these virtues do when the Spirit works them in us is actually they put us in touch with the only true self that has ever existed, which is the person of Jesus. Um, Last week I talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit as distinct for making Jesus real. That's part of the ministry of the Spirit, is to make Jesus real in our lives, to form Jesus in us. And it's not, it's not in the foreground of this passage, but it, it's clearly all over the place. Um, Paul assumes this reality, that, that the fruit of the Spirit is to make Jesus real in us. Paul says, for those who belong to Christ have crucified the false self with its passions and desires. Again, the content of, free, of freedom is love, But to be more specific, the content of freedom is Jesus Christ, who is love in the flesh, love embodied. He's the one who perfectly embodied all of these virtues. He held them together. He was not dogged by a false self, a shadow self. He was the only truly righteous one. And what the fruit of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit in us does is he's... imagine, Imagine what it would be like, my friends if you could experience the world emotionally like Jesus experienced it. Where you could look out across the crowd of people who are chasing you down, asking for food, instead of being annoyed and saying, how do I get out of here? Like the disciples, you have compassion. Or when somebody wrongs you, even puts you to death, and you look at them and you don't say, I cursed you, but Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Can you imagine experiencing the world as Jesus experienced it emotionally? That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. That's what it means to possess the fruit of the Spirit. It is for for the Holy Spirit to take Jesus and his character and to work it into you, into your very hearts, through the fibers of all that you are. And when he does this, you become a true self. To be in the Spirit is to be in Jesus Christ. And to be in Jesus Christ is not only to be true as a self, but it is to be free. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Lord, all of us in this room are dogged by a false self in one way or another. And sometimes we can't even see it. We pray by the power of your Spirit that you would help us to live and walk according to your Spirit. Give us the wisdom, give us the the sensitivity to relate to your very personal presence in our midst at all times, at the deepest depths of who we are as your people. And so sanctify us 
do the therapy we need to overcome all the false aspects of ourselves and to find ourselves in you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.